Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to different types of creative people about their journey and what they're up to and how they keep it going. And today I'm really excited. I have an amazing guest. Tyler Glenn is the lead singer of the band Neon Trees. They've just come out with their fourth album called I Can Feel You Forgetting Me. And um, I got to meet Tyler. I happened to be in Salt Lake City for one night in 2019 to record an interview for my LifeCast business. And I happened to meet Tyler that night at a little wine bar place by my hotel. And he was there with a friend. We got to talking, and I, I knew of his music. And he and his friend were nice enough to play a couple rounds of my game, You Don't Know My Life. It was just a cool night. And so when I saw that this record was coming out, I'd been listening to the singles that they would drop and loving it and uh, reach out to um, to their rep, and, and here we are. So Tyler was nice enough to hop on a Zoom call with me. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to just get a little mention in. Uh, we are still doing virtual game nights, having a lot of fun with that, with You Don't Know My Life. So if you need to refresh your Zoom group um, or want to connect with people far away or just do something really fun, uh, check it out at youdon'tknowmylife.com. And right now, through the 22nd, which is the official end of summer, our summer special is you book a game and then you get a box game sent to you for free. All right, that's enough of that. Here is Tyler Glenn. Coming to us live via Zoom from Salt Lake City, it's Tyler Glenn, the front man of Neon Trees. You have a brand new album out, and yeah. I love it. Thank you, Dennis. I'm Thank obsessed you. with for it. Me. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you. Every song is so good. Oh, hell yeah. I, I agree, but I know I'm biased. <laughs> They're so I really appreciate that. catchy. And, Thank you. And um, I like the lyrics. I relate to them. And they just, it's such an interesting sound to have now because it's kind of got a lightness to it and a funness to it. And yet here we are doing this over Zoom. What's it been like to come out with a record during this time? Um... Uh, ch challenging to feel fulfilled. Right, because you want to play the normally. songs. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's really odd. And I think what's what makes it doubly confusing is not having, like I don't live, like the band, we don't live in the same area anymore. Everyone's kind of gone on to have family. So we've always made it work when we have to come together. But when there's, when flights are limited or when, you know, social distancing doesn't really, you know, prove uh, a great scenario for a band so it's that's challenging too is sort of like just missing the uh the thing we we do as yeah. as a band yeah it's just it's it's very like uh confusing and i i've you know i've gone through my share of like identity crises like i'm sure many do throughout their life but from for me i'm going through another one where it's like missing that muscle you know yeah. All that all that energy, yeah. Well, then you have this new thing that you want to share with the world and you want to go on Jimmy Fallon or do do all the things and 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 share it with an audience in person and that must be be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's cool we I mean, we live in an age of metrics where I can see like, oh, people are listening or right. um instant feedback, but yeah, it's a different thing than all the records prior where you go on a tour and Right. Connect immediately with the audience with the new music, so it's 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 troubling. But uh, just you know, digging deep every day. <laughs> right, that's what you gotta do. Uh, you wrote on Instagram about some of the inspiration for this album, it's yeah. a, about a relationship that that was was there, and then sort of 
ghosting. Um, so talk a little yeah. bit about the inspiration and what you were kind of feeling and thinking when you started writing the album. Um, I wrote, I, I started writing it not knowing exactly what the record was going to be, but wanting to just definitely knowing it was a Neon Trees record. And, as opposed um, to I'd a solo record. Doing, as opposed to a solo record for you. Yeah, I'd right. come back from Broadway, which uh, I did Kinky Boots on Broadway, and I it, it just juxtaposed my life enough where I got out of sort of this uh i think it, it just kind of got me to kind of pivot and i and i knew coming back from that experience on, in new york i i wanted to make a band record again and um so i mean yeah this record's inspired by uh you know i think it starts out inspired by that person that that you mentioned but right honestly i i think about halfway through even four songs through i I started writing about the feeling of, of what it takes to get like there's a breakup, but then you, but then you still have the remnants of a person. Like sometimes the, that person's always going to sort of haunt you the rest of your life right. if, if they've made a significant impact. And this person was like a kind of a core shaker for me. And I, um, I think what I wanted to do was write about what happens after and like the feeling, maybe not the, the destination, like, okay, I'm good now. Cause I don't know necessarily that I am, but I wanted to, to sort of document the frustration of trying to get over someone, especially in the age of, of access. Like we have so much right. access to somebody. Are you going to follow the, them anymore? Are you going to look at their social media? What if somebody yeah, else does it, It's like, it's really hard to get out of sight, out of mind, unless you. It totally is. It totally is. But then it kind of bled into my codependency with, with uh, self-medication, my codependency with, um technology you know and it just examining some of that and so yeah it's, it's it's a record about modern love um and modern breakups i guess but it you know it, it's funny because you, you just mentioned there's some like a levity and a lightness to it and i i, I agree compared to, it's, it's a, compared to your solo record your last solo well no record. i thank you it, I, had, I a, it I, had a summer feel to it it's fun it's catchy yeah like, There's I want to be in a convertible driving down the PCH with some of those, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because I've been talking so much about the themes of the record, but I then I'll go listen to it or, or it comes on and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this is actually a very, like, energetic pop record, right. which only makes me want to play it live more, so. Of course, <laughs> it would be so fun. Yeah. Um, what is your songwriting process like? Do they, do all songs come differently? Do you play an instrument? You start with lyrics? Yeah, I think it just depends what my resources are at the time. Like if I, if it's just me in my apartment with a laptop and a computer or and a guitar, like it's it can start there. Um, but often it starts with like on this record, it, you know, and and often it starts with collaborating with with somebody and and being in a room and just writing, writing to a piece of music that we start to make or a beat or a um, a synth line or something. And that's what's so fun about songwriting in in 2020 and just in in the last few years is the technology advance and you don't even have to make a, a demo anymore a demo can be a song you know it can go um, out as is you know yeah there's so there's so many tools at our disposal that i think for a while artists like me that maybe grew up in a different time uh you have to shake some of that so that you don't stay stay boxed into you know the same old way of recording and making stuff so you know, this record especially, I felt really free to, to, to be experiment. And 
you know, I, I think I ended up writing like 40 songs and not all of them were about this thing, but I, I knew what the record I wanted to make as I started to get the core songs of the record. So yeah, I, and I felt really supported by my band where on other records, maybe I didn't feel as safe to sort of talk about certain things or experiment, uh, you know, and maybe that was my own thing of having to get, get over some of that insecurity as well. But um, it's been a really, like, I'm so excited to even just move forward. Like, I love this record and I want to, I, I want to be go play a show. I hope we can figure it out. I hope there's a way to even just do a socially distant show before the year's over or something, but we'll see. Yeah, I would love to see that. You talk about the way things have changed in terms of recording. I just know as a music consumer how much things have changed. Like, yeah. when I first, when I saw your album was out, I was like, okay, if I listen on Spotify, I'm not going to go straight through the album. Like, and I couldn't, you know, it was like, and I, I want to hold it in my hand. Like, I, you know, yeah. it's like feeling feeling how to consume music and how to sort of take it into your heart as a consumer is interesting. What do you miss about like when you were younger in terms of consuming music? Were you like a mixtape guy? Would you make mixtapes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, w I was born in 1983. So I was a teenager in the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had, I didn't have a cell phone in high school. It was, I recorded, on actual cassettes and and then it turned to cd burning cds but uh yeah i was absolutely a, you know i i love you know it's 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 hard to be like part of the industry and watch it change and there's obviously a lot that needs to change in terms of like how artists are treated and paid for from sure the streaming. but you know that's probably a part partly a different conversation but it also is like very very much the way i consumed music prior i love i like building a playlist there is something different about hefting a record and going through the art and reading the lyrics and the right. credits, which was such a part of my world. I loved reading the thank yous from each bandmate and, uh, you know, who wrote on what, who played on what, like that was always fascinating. And it, it also like broadened my palette on who I wanted to collaborate with or who one day I'd want to work with, you know, producer wise and things like that. And I definitely miss, uh, you know, it used to be Tuesdays when music would come out right. and, and just going to the record store. Which, and, what was your record store? What was your favorite? Uh, so I grew up in Southern California. It was The Warehouse was yeah. one of them. Right. Uh, the um, Sam Goody sure. Tower. Um, and then, like, uh, honestly, like, Best Buy and Circuit City, like, became, like, really great places to go buy CDs. Like, right. you know, the early 2000s, I think Target was incredible, too. It eventually became, it became really, you know, the access to, to music was such a, a thing. Um, There's something about but it was buying so it that feels like a commitment. Like I've made a commitment. Sometimes yeah. I'll download a song and forget I downloaded it. Or I, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. It's harder for me to take it into my heart, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, no, totally. I mean, it, it's it's almost like for me now, I just build mood playlists or every yeah. month I build like a, I just make a playlist of everything, and then I, that's all I listen to for the month. Right. Do you give you them know. cute names, like little clever names? Yeah, I think this this uh, the August one is like I'm, or maybe the July one was like I'm changing this summer or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort. I don't think it, any of the songs even had to do with that theme. Right. But, um, exactly. But yeah, I miss. I also missed the discovery of uh, like you can discover. There's uh, you have tools at your disposal, of course. But the discovery of just taking a chance on a record for 10 bucks 
based on the cover yeah. of the album. Or this artist sounds like they might be cool, or they played with that band, maybe I'll check them out. Yeah. And then you and you got to really digest a body of work versus maybe just the best songs on the record, which now it's like you can just listen to the best songs and avoid songs that maybe aren't as immediate. And I think there's something about albums that I, I my, some of my favorite songs to, that stand the test of time are songs that people don't go to as like right. their hits or they whatever. They want the so, singles. Now, right. how many videos have you made with the new album? We have... Uh, we have one like official video that we spent real coin on and then we have a bunch of like viral visuals because the as you know around you know obviously we all know march uh right like how did you, did you shoot the, the first one before um yeah we shot it in december nice. um for used to like which was the first single and yeah and then it kind of became uh you know you had to sort of use resources that weren't um, filming, you know, or going to set or really like expanding, which has been fun. Like, I think th the beauty of this record is it's supposed to feel sort of isolating and introspective or like a night drive. And so a lot of the visuals that we ended up with feel, they don't feel as broad or like as colorful or splashy as some of our old videos, but that's sort of kind of the aesthetic as well of the record. So it kind of worked out. Right. Like I feel, I kind of feel okay like, I'd love to do two or three more music videos, right. but I think I, I feel kind of okay with, with where we're at. With what's out there. I love the image of just that sheet ghost thing just standing around. It's such a simple thing. Not yeah. not expensive. It's not special effects, no. <laughs> but it's really evocative of like, oh, they're always there. That They're always yeah. there in a way, right? Yeah, I liked what, too, too, about that was it's, we didn't put eyes, we didn't make it like cartoony, really, like, Someone told me once, like, they didn't even, like, the album cover has that image. And, right. And someone recently commented, like, I didn't even put it together that that was a ghost. I just thought it was, like, somebody that was, like, that felt felt like, uh, you know, right. on the that couch. That's, that that's you as opposed to being somebody being haunted by somebody. Right. And, like, I think there's something, you know, genderless. I've also, like, found, like, it doesn't have to be a person even. I, it could be, like, the things that haunt us or, you know, there's... There's all kinds of things that follow us through, and and I think as I get older too, I'm I'm 36 now, and I realize like yeah, the people that come and go in your life and that you let in, they're gonna affect you one way or another, and I think that's what's helped me realize okay, I have boundaries. Surprise, like that's a thing that <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine having boundaries or like just protecting. I used to go around life very unconscious and very like just I'll let anybody in. Yeah, 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 and then you realize how depleted you are, and I. I think a breakthrough from just even the writing of this record the last couple of years is like protecting that and, and, and sort of realizing like, yeah, that when you let someone in, this might take up five or six years of your life and brain bandwidth, you know, it's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but for me, that's like kind of my experience with. Yeah. I mean, there are people that I think about in my life and I think of a couple of years where it was so much about them and yeah. now I'm not, they're not in my life anymore. Um, right. It's interesting. I guess that's kind of the nature of life. Um, yeah. You and I have something else in common. We were raised Mormon. Yeah. Um, and you, um, your last solo album is Excommunication, Excommunicated? Excommunication. Yeah. yeah. And you sort of deal with a lot of the, the feelings around being gay and coming out and the church and stuff like that. Where are you at now in terms of 
your connection to the to the church and I know your, your family and bandmates and stuff are still part of that you still live in Salt Lake where do you feel like you've come to at this point um I feel really secure in in um my views and the way I've been able to frame that I think there are still times that can get emotional if I'm you know it's interesting doing press on this record and and you realize so many people still have to recount like we're doing now and this is the nature of your life is like you recount what was before and sort of where have you been from there and it, there are times where I, I talk about you know the actual uh leaving the faith and all that and what it did and and it sent me on a it was a whole course correction in my life which i i'm so grateful for but it was really painful and there's times where you know i'll still get a little angry if uh if uh you know if you know for example you know last year they they sort of switched uh language around the policy that sort of you know at least splintered my my life and faith uh having to do with the lgbt community and their their rhetoric towards towards yeah, those in to the me community. it seemed like a step, big step backwards it was a giant step backwards and then they sort of course corrected subtly and it was just very pr but there was no sort of you know people took their lives um when that happened people left people resigned in droves when that happened people questioned their faith and you know, for me, it was a genuine uh, faith crisis. Um, I know, I know, some people bandy about that word as if it's just a thing now. But for me, it was like a, it was a very big crisis of faith. And I think where, where I'm at now is I don't, I don't subscribe to the LDS Church at all. But I have an acceptance to not wanting to t- throw the baby out with the bathwater, like not wanting to uh, completely you know, just erase or burn down the first 33 years of my life. Yeah, um, no, I, I relate to that because to me, there's always been a difference between the people and the doctrine. Like, for example, I have such fond memories of the people that I grew up with and the, yeah. the way the church take care, took care of each other. And then yeah. sometimes I'd hear things about the doctrine or like when Prop 8 happened, it was like a disconnect between the, the world that I grew up in and like this office somewhere making these decisions and absolutely and and so it was kind of a it 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 never felt like they hated me that much but i guess they do i agree it didn't feel that way and and i also feel for the people who i think a lot of them are great um amazing people who are trying to struggle with it and and stay in your life and all of that stuff um yeah, it's it's a complicated thing, but it, it What's really, really is hard when is, they come out with with statements and stuff that that seem to go backwards. Well, that's the thing. It's like the language and messaging is still all there. Like anyone can sort of put a headline out. Like they can even start to call it the LGBTQ community. You know, for lo- for the longest time they didn't. They call it same sex attraction or you know homosexuality was sinful. Like, like they weren't treating the it language- like an identity. They were treating it like a. Yeah, something changeable almost, right? And I I think what's really helped me in my life is calling things what they are. Like, I, the church is a, is a system that's archaic that's was set up for a time that isn't 
you know, I, I'm sure Joseph Smith had no concept of Google, clearly. Right. <laughs> but you, you almost didn't have this access to, like, 200 years ago, wasn't that long ago, we can kind of see what was going on. Right. Um, and you just sort of, like, to me, it's a system that's sort of archaic. It works for some people. If you're, if you're white and straight, I think it works. It can work fine for you, I guess. Um, but uh, it's helped me kind of go, and that's helped me separate the people versus just the system. Right. And... It's so much bigger than just like pointing fingers at a, le- a current leader or my bishop growing up or right. whoever maybe imposed some of these things on me. But uh, yeah, so it's helped me sort of just like that's what that is. It's a corporation. It's it's like any anything sort of, and they're systemic problems, you know. Yeah, I think that's really helped me. Um, I saw you in the documentary about the the Live Loud concerts. I forget the name of the documentary. Love Loud, yeah. It's a uh, the the uh, sorry documentary is called Believer. Believer, yeah. And and I did not realize until I saw that at the gay film festival, the amount of suicides in young people in the Mormon Church, like the numbers. Yeah, have they it's, stayed uh, up there. It's an have epidemic. they changed at all? So that documentary was a couple of years ago, I think. You know, sadly, like I don't I don't have access to every single person that right. I acknowledge. You know, but I um, yeah, it's still it's still an active. Uh, an active problem. A long time, for a long time, it was passed off as like the weather, like the inversion here, the mountains. Um, but Utah, just in general, does have a higher, a higher suicidality rate. You know, right? It's like that. There was a quote that you say at the end of your TED talk that was from East of Eden, right? Um, yes. Now that you don't have to be perfect, you yes. can be good. Is that the line? Yes. There is that thing of, like, I remember growing up as a Mormon kid, like, okay, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I'm good. I felt horrible about masturbating. I'm like, if I could fix that one thing, I'd be good. I'd be perfect. Uh, like, it was this this need to sort of keep all the rules, be perfect, be a good kid. Um, and maybe other people in other religions feel that, but that was definitely something that I felt. That's what's so fucked up about it, you know, is that it's just, it's always comes down to sex, right? Like, right. I know our experience is the only experience we have, which was Mormonism, but I, I know other religious faith expressions, like, they, it's always about, it always comes down to, like, controlling someone's natural urges. And, you know, I believe in sort of having a compass and a bit of, like, a, but I'm, I'm a very sex-positive person, and I, that's been so helpful to relinquish some of the shame and make mistakes and sort of like, you know, all my 20s, I was compartmentalizing my sexual identity and meanwhile going on Craigslist and having interests that I felt really terrible about um, right. for a very long time. But I've been able to reframe those and go, you know what, like, that's your experience. Um, right. You, you've come out of it uh, the way you've come out. Now let's learn about it. Let's look at it. Let's not just cast like this shame on it and then like you know almost disregard it as something not to learn from and i think for me uh i think for most humanity like sex sexuality is just like a, a huge component and, and when you put a stranglehold on it so i don't think it's ever going to turn out great for for people yeah. regardless of of uh orientation even like i think i look at some of my brothers and sisters that may be married too young but there's you know but you you need to get married to have sex or you need to get married to so you can have children and there's this 
there's this weird fixation with sex yeah. in in the religion. The you you mentioned the game that I have because I met you in, in in Salt Lake and we actually played the game. But there's a question in it that's what's something you used to believe that you don't believe anymore. And I think for me the biggest thing I think I my beliefs have changed around sex. I think when I was younger I believed it was tied to morality and there was something bad about promiscuity, maybe even gay stuff. And and I I wish that I hadn't bought into that so much. Although maybe it helped yeah. me stay alive because I'm I'm a different age than you but yeah my, yeah my attitudes around that if we could be honest to young people about their bodies about sex i think it yeah so much i think that's the thing like i i think if you're going to put limitations on on choice or or frame it in a sinful way you also need to educate people you know like there's just no education even in about yeah. sex it's just like don't do it and yeah. then well you know then what happens when someone does you know it's just like so complicated when you when you start to limit someone's choice in the matter but i agree with you yeah and but, but also talking about mormon people like when i see mitt romney stand up and and vote to impeach like i feel a connection like that's that's mormon like jeff flake is somebody i i, I the furthest thing from a republican but i have a connection yeah. to them because yeah they, they look like moral core there they look like you're you know your elders quorum president or right. they look like your they look like your boy scout leader like i get it yeah i get it i know what you mean i mean we were me and dan and uh carmen carrera were all on the love Lad board and we got to visit capitol hill early this year so the year did actually start out nice oh, that's I, interesting. there are a what few things we like? got to do it was incredible and we were there uh advocating with the lgbtq caucus to talk about conversion therapy yeah. and we got to meet Mitt Romney really quickly, but you know, I, I have my own thoughts about the Republican party. I have my own thoughts about even Mitt Romney, but then he enters the room and you can't help but go like, you know, Hey brother Romney, like you right. just sort There's of like something authoritative revert. and not, yeah. not necessarily scary either. It was sort of not was... scary. And you know what? We met him an hour before he delivered that speech, uh, that, that, that this year about, about, um, sort of blaspheming trump which was incredible so i cried i couldn't imagine what was going on through his head you know wow um, you met him the day he gave the speech on the floor an hour before he said, yeah I, I, we were supposed to do it well we were supposed to have a longer meeting and we, we ended up only having a meeting with his staff but then he he still felt like he needed to come say hi like he felt yeah. bad but like when you when you put it all in context you're like well that had to have been a really scary day for him yeah <laughs> you know for sure so, uh, not, not to not to empathize with, you know, certain things. Like, there's still problems there, but right. I but I know what you're saying. I I, I understand that. Mentality. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. But the that the two decent Republicans that are standing up to him are Mormons. There's something that makes sense to me based on yeah. my background about that. Which is so fascinating. I you know I live in Utah, and it's you know it's a very very conservative state. I, funny enough, Salt Lake is very, I think, very blue. Like. And then you just get outside and it's all, it's right. all pretty red, but, it's but, uh, it's interesting to, I'm always kind of, I'm always taken aback when a Mormon person is a Trump supporter only be like, I get being a Republican fine, but when you, you know, anybody that sort of like believes in their faith, the way they do, and Mormons are such good hearted people, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, and then you, you kind of go like, well, what's are you just kind of voting because that's tradition? Like, yeah. What's the deal you're making in your head about this? Like, how are yeah, you, how are you rationalizing it? Yeah. yeah it, 
I like actually just asking those questions. Like my brother-in-law, for example, like, I'm just like, well, you love me. Like, you know, so like, what's, what's up? Like, you love your wife. Right. You know, um, you love your sister. Like why there's so many things that this man stands for, you know, I don't want to get heavily in politics, but right. it's just sort of, it's, it's really confusing right. <laughs> sometimes, but. Have you lived other places? I knew you grew up in Southern California, but as an adult, have you have you lived in LA for a while or New York or? So, I mean, my experience, like the last 10 years, I felt kind of gypsy, if that makes sense. Like sure, yeah. I've always, I've had this home. This is the longest I've actually been in this home, like at one time, you know, it's been almost seven months since this quarantine thing. So, um, you know, I, I was, Born and raised in Southern California, LA and San Diego were my backyard. And where everywhere where I'd go up with friends to get culture and shows and things like that. Until I was 19 and then I went on a mission to Nebraska. So I lived in Nebraska. And then I, I moved to Utah just to sort of track down some of my bandmates. And then we ended up just like, you know, ended, ended up building a fan base here, getting signed out of here. I bought an apartment here. It just sort of became like home base. Never... Yeah. All the while, never like being like, oh, this is where I'm going to stay. Yeah. But I found a lot of love here. I think the problem with the gypsy life that I led touring or, or being somewhere else to record or living in New York to do a show or living in L.A. for, for a year to record, it's like I didn't build enough of a, a social base here. So you that's don't have your like people. I, yeah, like I go to the, I've gone to the gay bar. I mean, before the bars were sort of shut down, I, I felt like I, was part of the the gay community here, but I just don't have that. Yeah, I haven't spent enough time to make those connections, and that's that's very evident now being here for almost seven months and not, you know, just not having that that access. So that's been something I've kind of been going through. That you sort of observed over this last period of time. Growing up in the Mormon church, I felt like there was a lot of support around the arts. Like music was a big part of it and dancing yeah. and road shows and the church had the best dances. But I also felt that as I started to infer that that was, might be my career where I wanted to go, there was a little bit of like, oh, no, we do that for fun. I don't know. How did you feel about your ambitions as a performer growing up in that environment? Because it's on you're, the one hand very artsy, but also... It doesn't feel like they want you to do it for your job. I hear you. Yeah, I think I think what I experienced, I always felt supported, you know, and this is... That's fantastic. This is, I can only speak to mine, my experience, but, you know, even my mission president, like, I don't know if we just, he was the right guy for the mission. And like, I'm still figuring out what I believe in as far as like what's meant to be, who's controlling this thing. Right. Is there such thing as like, you know, some predest? I don't know. But like, I I felt like he was the right leader for me. Um, I I reflect fondly on my mission. There's certain aspects I don't where I'm like, I kind of became extra converted on my mission because you're just experiencing this life that's so devoted to the church. Right. But this, but he was like, you know, he, he, he would allow me on P days to like, record a four track i made i made like little were you albums. making demos on your p days i p was days, I w- by the way are preparation CD- days that's yeah. right i had cds like floating around my mission from elder glenn you know i i he he instead of like the the farewell sort of interview you have on your mission 
he a lot more often than not you're told especially as a man go home get married, get married. be you a breadwinner start to serve like right. yeah like expand and become a leader and you know right. set, sets you right off on the trajectory right and and for me he didn't even mention that like i don't know if he had insight of my my own struggles or but he was like i want you to go home and like figure out your music and i want you to like he was it, i don't know if it was like I just I received it as support. That's um, fantastic. It probably was. Yeah, yeah. I love then like you're just making demos on your P day and doing your thing. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I mean, Dan from Imagine Dragons served. Uh, we kind of cross. He served in the same mission. We we kind of crossed. Like I'm a little older than him, and uh, my CDs were like floating around the mission. So he like he like uh, you know the shadow of me kind of was over his entire mission. It's just interesting. And then, and then he goes back to Provo and starts this band, Imagine Dragons, and we're this big band in Provo, Neon Trees, by the time he's back. And, right. And we've gone on to do amazing things, but we also have come together as friends to do this Love Loud experience. So it's been really interesting, like, that. Like, you know, there's certain things that I, I look in my life like, I don't know what to call that. Like, right. there it, has it, to be feels, some hand in something. It feels like there's some you know? grace there somehow. Yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that you guys went to the same mission, and you went before he did. Yeah, I yeah. went in two thousand three, and I think he, I think he might have gone in like two thousand four, like right parallel two thousand five, like kind of parallel. Yeah, um, yeah. I did not go on a mission, but I did get my patriarchal blessing, which is a thing that you get. I don't know when you're like seventeen or eighteen, and it's yeah. sort of a special blessing, but it has this sort of mystical mystical tarot. telling the future right <laughs> it's a bit of crystal ball it's crystal a little ball bit back. right I, it's it's been so long since i was part of that but i remember one line from it which is that you have gifts and talents that other people enjoy mm. and, and and to use them and i and i think of that and like kind of a smaller version of what you're talking about this thing that sort of acknowledged what i thought i was about within yeah. this within this religious Ritual I've, I haven't gone back to read mine and since I got it. So I, I, uh, it'd be curious. I mean, I don't believe in, in the things anymore, but it, I don't, I've always back in, in the back of my head wondered if it told me to like marry a woman or not. Like there's certain things like it definitely sets out yeah. your life. Um, yeah. I mean, to go back to the idea, like, you know how, like in the Mormon church, like we kind of do as a community, like, and I don't consider myself Mormon anymore, but I guess culturally it's still going to be in my life. But uh, the church kind of likes a famous Mormon. Like, they kind of like a secular Mormon. Yeah. Like, you hear you hear Ryan Gosling might have been Mormon. You go, yeah, that's cool. Or, like, Brandon Flowers from The Killers. Like, so, so I think when we became famous and then we're also, like, in interviews talking about that we were Mormon. Right. You but then were we, But then we looked yeah and then, and then we looked like i looked like a rock and roller that was partying all night but i but we were like definitely you know i think a lot of people looked at us as like oh they're like an lds rock band like interesting yeah that um, was cool. and i'm conflicted about how much how much at the beginning like we set that up because you, you only get introduced once to the world and that's fine i get to rewrite my story as we go on which is great but but there was sort of this like well, we love it. Like there they are doing their thing, but they're also talking about the church in France in an interview or they're yeah. in 
you know, wherever. So I didn't ever feel, I think it was when, obviously when I left the church, like even when I came out as gay, a lot of people were really supportive still because I came out, like I came out as gay, but also Mormon. Like I was like, I'm gay, but I'm also Mormon and and I'm going to prove that you can make both work, which obviously was very naive. But I, but, uh, I, was, I was reading about you, and there was a period of time where that was you were threading that needle, right? Yeah. You were kind of making yeah. it work, and the people around you seemed to be supportive. But then there there came to a point where like something had to give, right? Or how did that threading the needle part come to an end? It, it was it was the end of 2015 when the the policy that that oh, we spoke of so a little it was bit the policy at the beginning thing that happened. Yeah, because it, it was like I came out, and it, that was such a monumental shift in my in my whole life coming out and and also getting to say like i'm mormon i'm going to do it my way and then not receiving as much pushback as maybe i I thought i would get that it made me feel like oh wow like okay i have i have a bit of control now in my life and then as you just get more conscious yeah yeah as i got more conscious i was just like and then and then reading you know, it's like I said that the the messaging's still there. It's still in in the Ensign magazine. It's still being spoken from the pulpit at conference. Like it's still in the pamphlets at, at Strength of Youth. Like they're still anti-gay, anti-queer. You know, forget being trans in the Mormon Church. That's not even spoken. Oh yeah. About. So it's, it's like, like yeah. There has and, and also it's like weirdly, it's well not weird because I get it like the patriarchy, but like no one really even speaks speaks about gay women even really it's like it's very it's it just seems at least my experience that it was very focused on men being gay and not really anyone else in in the spectrum but yeah i don't know how close did you come to getting married did you was there ever anyone that you thought i might marry and do that yeah yeah i remember like but I, I look back at so it was a girl I was dating in my early twenties, um, and I look back at that and I go, "You, you picked her because you enjoyed being around her, and she'd probably make a good mom." But like, I don't ever feel like in my heart like I, like I remember asking my mom for like she had an, a family heirloom that she wanted to give as like the ring if I asked somebody. This is going back my early twenties. And I guess I came close because I'd asked her, like, hey, I think, you know, I dated this girl for two years. But, you know, I'm happy that she she knew that I was gay deep down, I think. And, uh, I think they you know, do especially know. as you and especially as you you become close and you want to be a bit active sexually. And then I was using I was using the, you know, the law of chastity as a crutch so hard. Right. Like, <laughs> you're just, but, you know, I want to, but I just I'm. I, yeah. This is not my beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was years and years before I even uttered, you know, the words to anybody that I was gay. So, yeah. Um, Who was the yeah. first person you came out to? Who was the first person you said the words to? I think beyond. So, like, definitely in my 20s, I had, I had men that I'd meet online and I developed actually, like, French, friendships that, like, now... There are people that aren't in my life. And I, I feel conflicted sometimes, like, did I tokenize those people or not? But um, there were certain people that really helped me through my 20s that just were like, if I was going through something, I'd call them. And I think they lived in, you know, it was still before, like, the internet was what it even was today. And 
Um, I, we definitely didn't have FaceTime. So I had like a Motorola flip phone. I think it was 2007, six. Right. And maybe, maybe those people, like the people that I was either confiding in or talking to, but they weren't people in my life. I think the first person in my life that I told was um, my producer at the time, uh, Tim, and he was producing our third record. And he's one of my closest friends anyway, but um, I was writing a lot about identity and sneaking in the messages on our third album. Um, And I wanted to tell somebody and he uh, reacted in, the way I never thought or considered he reacted with excitement and actually like congratulations. And I had never associated like anything positive. Right. You think if you're Um, lucky, you'll break even, it'll be bad or you'll break even. You don't think someone will go, Oh, that's so wonderful. Wonderful. He set the bar high. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's amazing. I I wanted to tell, you know, it was like a couple hours later, I was on a flight. I I wanted to tell the person next to me. It was like, (laughs) all of a sudden it was like what I wanted. I, I had lived 30 years without talking about it out loud. And then, yeah, yeah, it changed my world. Now, talking about the, the woman you had been dating, I feel like there should be a national holiday. You know how, like, they have Secretary's Day or yeah. you know, for girls that were in long-term relationships with gay guys. <laughs> and they yes. just get a muffin basket or just something. Because yeah. I really feel like I had one. It wasn't that long-term, but it was somebody that was like, that would really love me and I was never going to be able to give them what they needed. Yeah. And so maybe a muffin basket once a year. I don't know. I think when it comes, if it comes to like the type of relationships we're probably talking about where, you know, I, I think they'd need more if it was someone that was married for years. I don't know. That's got to be shattering. And that's yeah. at the same time. You know, I hear a lot of really amazing, amazing stories. Like, the access to friends that I have that were once, like, bishops in church that are now at the gay club down. You know, there's a lot of that experience. Older gay men that come out in their 40s, 50s. And a lot of their wives are, like, incredible friends to them, which is really cool to hear. But you're very considerate to even just think about, like, the women's experience. And, yes, it's, like okay, what we were going through was very traumatic and we we weren't, especially years before we can speak to to the culture of today, but like we didn't have the language and access and support. Yeah. Um, No, we were sort of on our own. I agree with you. A muffin basket. Something, maybe maybe not a muffin, an edible arrangement. Bottle of wine. A bottle of wine, something nice like that. Speaking of which, it's interesting for me is I, the word of wisdom is part of the Mormon church. And after I kind of left the church and wasn't going anymore, I never was drawn to to partying or drinking or anything. Somehow that stuck. I never just never called to me. What what's been your history with that? And sort of like because I know some people once once they step away, they want to do all the stuff that they weren't able to do before. And and um, what's been your experience was, around that stuff? I was always very curious about um, drinking. Um, you know, as a teenager, I think my feeling when I felt rebellious, I would like smoke a clo- a clove cigarette, cigarette with a friend. It's so yeah. badass. I know. They were like the dessert cigarette. Right. Um Yeah, and then I didn't I didn't party as a kid. I was a I was a pretty you know, my most rebellious thing was listening to loud music and maybe it, like feeling like I was rebelling by smoking a a, a clove cigarette. 
but I think I, every now, like it was like, I remember every couple of years it was like, okay, I'm going to buy a Heineken and see what it does. But like, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So, and so I, I didn't actually like actively start drinking until, um, after coming out. And then, and then I went through a period of time where I was like, I enjoy this. There's no, there's no sin attached to this, but you still need to realize that there are consequences but they're not consequences you're taught about your whole life. They're, the consequences you're taught about are uh, consequences that have to do with the afterlife right. and, and your and your happiness, spiritual happiness. You're not told about uh, alcoholism. You're not told about codependency. You're not told about your health. Um, and so I think I went through a period of like a rumspringer period of like um, of of drink, wanting to try all the drinks, wanting to smoke all the weed. Um, I have a balance with it. I think quarantine has messed that up a bit. Um, right. where it's like, you know, I think it's a thing that I, I, I don't struggle with, but I, it's like, it's like what you said about like shame with masturbation. It's like trying to always remove, do I have shame about this because of wiring that's old, that these old tapes that keep playing, or do I need to sort of like just analyze? Yeah. Maybe you need to like, not, have that glass of wine tonight and just peace like i'm still very much a a health conscious person and like i watch what i eat and i try to i try to maintain that as i as i age and but i you know i think it's for me a lot of it had to do with just like cool there are no limitations now because this thing isn't real that i subscribe to my whole life what's out there for me you know right yeah um, but there's also these ideas of like when you mentioned the men that maybe come out when they're 50. Sure. But they have their whole family. So they're going to grow old with a family. It's sort yes. of like they won in a way. Not in a way. You, mm. Oh, mm. That's a little dark. No, it's interesting. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like they get to, you know, because I'm at an age where I'm. Best of both age. worlds. I don't have a partner. I don't have children. And it's sort of like, oh, they got to have their cake. Um, although mm. I'm sure there was a lot of wreckage in the coming out process. But there is that idea of like, okay, as I grow older, who are my people? Who are, who's my family? Because family is so fundamental in the Mormon church. Uh, That's a huge, uh, that's the thing that's always on my mind. Extra in this year, just being so isolated and having time to think about stuff. I totally hear you. Like, um, it's, it's urged me to just even get on, get online again and go like, well, you know, you can't use the long distance thing as an excuse. Maybe it's time to just make space. Like, especially what I was talking about, about how not having a social circle here. Yeah. Realizing how I don't have a lot of actual, like, close gay friends. And that is a really important thing. Yeah. For me, that I would need to make space for. And then, yes, also, like, um, you know, I always said, like, I'll be 45 maybe when I have a kid. Right. And then, like, but you're, like, I'm, like, nine years away from that. So, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, life, life is speeding along. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I also think about how, like, I have such a great relationship with my parents, but they're not going to be here for forever, right. you know, and I have to consider that, too. So I hear you. From what I've read, your mom has been amazing. And yeah. uh, um, I've seen, like, some interviews or some pictures and stuff like that. What do they think when you you know, have alcohol in a video or some of the, some of the imagery or some of that stuff. Is, is it ever like, Oh, 
like sometimes I know with things that I've written for my family, it's like, oh, did you have to use that word? Or did you have to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, at first, at first it was like that, you know, it, it took, uh, it took a couple of years to just get in, in a comfortable space. And I, I think what I, I, th I think what turning point for me was my mom asked me to, you don't ever have to lie to me again. Like, I think she, she realized I kept a lot from her because of, um, my own shame and like, yeah. and she, and yet we had a very close relationship, but I think it only got closer once, you know, I let down certain guards and, and it was real. And, um, it's only helped, like, she thanks me all the time for taking her on this journey. So like, that's amazing. I really lucked out in the parent department. My father's incredibly accepting and we, me and him used to have a very uncomfortable, you know, relationship. Um, so they've made a lot of strides. My my mom will now have like, if I have a bottle, like she'll let me if I'm at their house, have a have a bottle of wine, and have a glass with dinner. She'll now want to taste it. Like if my younger brother cracks up in a beer, she wants to taste it. Like, yeah. you know. And I, I'm also like, I don't need my 66 year old mom like developing like a wine habit. But <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, there was something that people in the Mormon church used to always say, which is like, you wanted to be in the world but not of the world. Totally. And as I grew up, I thought, no, you want to be of the, it's the world, be in the world. Like yeah. this idea of like, we're just going to go through unscathed or we're not going to let anything in. We're not going to be curious. We're not going to try things. We're not going to travel. We're going to look at different people. You know, I, that whole idea didn't seem to well, I, sit well with my natural totally, curiosity. I, totally. I also wonder how much of that is like the promise of the, the distinct promise of the afterlife. And like, that's such a big deal with Mormons. Like, Co like coasting through this earth life to, so you get to the the good, the good stuff. stuff yeah yeah but all of my none of my favorite people are going to be there yeah <laughs> you know <It's>, <laughs> no <laughs> i've always said that it. like i i've always been like i want to make it to like maybe the middle tier yeah. heaven like the yeah i don't need to make it to the like the the uppity up <laughs> here's something i remember about growing up mormon i'm going to see if you ever heard of anything like this they had this event that it was like a fireside event called Flight yeah. 13 to Tahiti. Did you hear this? And it was set up like that. an airplane. And we're all in the airplane, and then the plane crashes, and then you go to the the after, like the different levels of heaven, which the, you the know what? Believe. But it was kind of freaky, like the simulation yeah. of a plane crash. Um, yeah, that's dark. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of dark. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, this is a very important, hard-hitting question. Yeah. Feelings about the Osmonds. And let me preface that by saying I love them. I want to yeah. I want to be Marie's friend. I love yeah. Donnie. I love his voice. I love how he kind of secretly wishes he was in a boy band still. I love it. Yeah. I love it all. Yeah, Donnie's adorable. Like I think they're cute. I I think they've done a, you know, we I left them out about this secular Mormon conversation, but they're like the pioneers of that, you know. And For I sure. Think, um, and they held it with grace, considering. Yeah, you know I've. I am, and I feel like being Mormon and knowing about the culture so much, I, I, you do give a little bit of grace back to like, if, if they're not completely where you wish they would be, but right. you know, with, with like Marie and her, the way she's been more and more outspoken about her queer children and her children that have, that have sadly, like with suicide, like just like, the way she's used what her she's platform. Cause I think she's also really helped those like, Sunday Mormon ladies that like probably feel those things too, but like need 
they need somebody to just mirror right to mirror it and uh yeah, I like I like them a lot. Like, obviously, I'm sure if we got down to brass tacks, there's things that we don't agree on, sure. or things that need to progress. But I, I've never, I've always thought they were awesome. But I also because my mom is like a giant Donnie and Marie fan, and that's the best. I love awesome. your Donnie mom awesome more fan. and more. I hear about her. <laughs> yeah, I it's saw incredible. them. Here's what happens when you go to their concert: they do everything. Like it, it yeah. like one second Marie singing opera. Then it's yeah. Donnie's time to be in a boy band and do, like, hardcore choreography. A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, right? <laughs> Everything but the kitchen sink. And then he ran down the aisle and he touched my hand and I was like, oh, Donnie Osmond touched my hand. Totally. I was into it. Um, talk to That's me about amazing. being on Broadway. What was it like with Kinky um, Is it cool? Is the it ba- a different arena than The best, than rock? the most terrifying thing, like, it was all of it. It was... Uh, truly experiential i uh i got to you know i got an offer to audition which meant a lot to me because i didn't want to get some handout um you know i i subscribe to the idea that like working hard for the things that you get i i you know i'm sure i've gotten a lot of access to things with certain success but i it meant a lot to me to to prove that i could get the role and um but then i had to like learn charlie is the name of the character Charlie Price, yeah, he so he's the lead with against Lola, who's right. the drag queen in in the cast. Right. But you know, I'm on stage in most mostly every scene. It's like two and a half hours of of uh, dialogue. It's songs. It's choreography, and I had to learn it all in three weeks. Holy um, shit. Yeah, I mean, I had I had the script for months, so I got to like get familiar with that. But like, there's you know, any sort of performer knows like. There's certain beats and choreography is so important, but Broadway is is such an incredible muscle in it. It's like um, it's an organism. Like everyone on stage is is there's no what I'll say is there's no room for any creative. Uh, there's really no room for any creative like choices. Like yes, when it comes down to maybe how you say a line or your I had a British accent or certain little things flares absolutely, but you realize how much of it is so choreographed so that the viewer sees this incredible show, you know? Um, and so I, I loved it. Uh, it just, it, I think going into it, I, I was just coming out of my, my experience with my solo record coming out of the church, being very like in the spotlight in terms of like being a, an angry, like my, my position was like this angry ex Mormon, and I was just like living in kind of like a mm, like hanging out with a circle of friends that were draining me. And I remember just getting an opportunity to get out of here and go to Salt Lake. And it had nothing to do with my band or go to New York and ha- had nothing to do with my band. And it was the best. It was it was uh, you know about six months and thirteen weeks of shows and eight shows a week. And it just completely dug me out of my uh, I don't know. I guess I'll say the hole I was living in. It was just I was. I, just brought me back to the life, like, I, and I don't say that lightly. Upbeat, it truly did. It's such an upbeat story. It's such a feel-good musical with a great message, and the chorus totally. boys are running around being adorable, and and that cast was so accepting. Like, you know, I had I, I had that like first day of school fear, like everyone has, where you're like, right. they have they have every right to not want to accept me because I'm some new guy that's just filling in, right. Like, I, I got stunt casted, if you will. Like, I get the idea of, like, a lot of these people have been there since the beginning. Right. Um, they were just so, such incredible people and warm and, I don't know, it, 
It was really, really cool. It was a really, really cool. I love experience. that. How hard was it to walk in those boots? Uh, hard, hard, actually. How did you practice? Um, like, would you practice at home and stuff? Well, I didn't get the so I, my fir- the very first day of work when I was in when I was there was getting my boots molded like to my feet. So, um, like that was a whole process. Then I had to like kind of rehearse in in like uh, fill in boots. But yeah, no, it was like it was like if I wasn't doing dialogue and scenes, then it was like three hours of dance and three hours of choreography in the boots and like. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they train you, they work you, but it was like, it was like boot camp for sure. What a thrill though. And, and like, it was incredible. Like the yeah. pressure to like rise to the occasion and to do a good job. What was it like at the it. end when they would applaud and stuff when you got through it? Amazing. I mean, it was that first show, it was like May 5th, 2018. And it was like a roller coaster. I, I, it was like a fever dream. Almost. Right. Like, I remember like, you know, my first scene, it, is like about five minutes into the show and I get rolled out on this uh, bookcase and then my entrance is like I appear and appear with my girlfriend. And I remember just getting rolled out. I'm like, there's no going back. I can't just say like, <laughs> wait, 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 let's getting uh, rolled out. give me five. Yeah, it was like, oh. And then it's like from then on, I'm, I'm, so it was like a roller coaster, but uh, it just proved to me like, like, I know I've done amazing things in my life, but I'm an eternal self-deprecator, which is something I'm working on. But I, it just, like, it definitely taught me lessons of, like, persevering, being scared. Uh, you know, I, I thought I had mono. It was just anxiety. Like, but I thought, like, I'm like, Mom, I'm, like, so tired. Like, I don't, but it was just me, like, you know, giving my entire body to this, this thing. it's killing. So. And that eight shows a week thing is no joke. And I cared about the show and I cared about the people and I just didn't want to let anyone down. It yeah. was all, it was a mix of all that for sure. Have you heard, I'm sure you have from young Mormon gay kids Many. that reach out to you and many, what, what, kinds Still. Of things, what kinds of things do they say? I mean, I mean, I don't know what it would have meant to me to see somebody like you when I was like 12 or something like that. I don't know if I had put it all together yet for myself, but I bet you do. I bet you would hear from people, right? I hear from a lot of people. Um, I think a big, what's helped me reframe even my solo record, which, you know, at the time I wanted it to be, I, I wrote it and recorded it and had the support of a, a, a label. And I, you know, I wanted it to be this uh, more of a mainstream thing. And, and I realized four years later, it's, it's still getting discovered by people that need it. And it's right. really, really, it's made it me totally reframe that. And I was like, what an, what a gift of a time to have like this opportunity to make this solo record that's funded by a major label that's being supported. Um, and yet it's talking about these very specific feelings and I don't know, like it's, I get, I get sent messages every day about the things that I said on that record and the, the way the way I embolden other people, um, the Love Loud experience has gotten me access to all kinds of queer kids. I mean, I think another component of that is like, I've, I'm blown away by their courage. Like I'm so impressed with like youth, youth of today, like that are, are so fearless. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's as much as they write, 
thanking me like i i feel a lot of gratitude when i come away like hearing from them it's um yeah it's it, it, i it's i sometimes don't digest it enough until i'm asked and i go oh yeah that's like yeah that's a huge deal yeah i i, I represent something to these people but you know the world's a shit show right now but when i look at young people i feel a bit hopeful because they don't seem to buy into the stuff around sexuality or gender or race or whatever i i think there's much more uh, acceptance well, around across the board and less less prejudice i like recognize like i i was that i was that way you know in, in, as a teenager i i i am found solace in the counterculture in a bit of like the gender fuckery and i all the while being mormon but i was i was a very much a goth kid and um you know political in my own mind like free tibet pins and you know i i had that energy and that spirit but i think what's different is now with the internet community like there's so much access to feeling like you're not the only one that or the your group of friends isn't the only one that believes that you know and it I think that's what's powerful is like uh there's other things to affirm you now and so now it's even emboldened the youth more to just be like no that's actually wrong that we're going to change this we're going to burn some of this down like i i I have so much uh so much uh respect um for some of these kids they're way more courageous than i ever was right when i looked at (laughs) those parkland kids i'm like maybe the world's gonna be okay after all um, mm-hmm. You mentioned being kind of a goth kid. I read that, that there was a point where they wouldn't let you bless the sacrament at your church because you were just you were too out there with your clothes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm gonna call him Bishop Haldeman. Right. So I don't think he, I don't head. think Bishop Haldeman's listening to this. So. I know. I'm sure he's a big fan of my pot. He loves all my work. <laughs> actually, I'll send I'll send him a link if I can find him online. Exactly. So they how do they? Here's my question: How do they tell you no? You can't do that because your 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 outfit's too crazy. I th- I don't think it was even the, the outfit like it was like I would still wear the white shirt and I'd probably wear a tie but it would probably had colorful stripes but I, I what it was was my hair my hair you know it was very Robert Smith it was Edward Scissorhands it was just like full on just like and as more and more as I got into high school you know I was using this uh, pomade called Murray's that I think is actually meant for for uh, black hair but I there was just like this thickness it never washed out of my hair and it just was like this so there was no avoiding like if i if i was blessing the sacrament you still would see and i think they, they used it as like you're you're a bit of a distraction ah. i think they just called me a distraction and okay. um i never felt emboldened enough to go like f but i de- definitely told my dad and my dad gave him a piece of piece of, piece of his mind That's but um interesting what what bugged me about that i think what made the conflict in that was that i was i was to a t being a good mormon Right. Going to seminary, hadn't sipped anything, hadn't smoked anything yet. But I knew that my friends that weekend were doing things, and yet they were able to bless the sacrament because of the way they looked. And I that was when I my first disconnect of like, oh, something's a little off here. Right. It's not about um, what you do. It's about other things. Oh, it's so about you other were things. getting you were keeping the rules, but you looked different. They were breaking the rules, and they got to do the thing. But they were clean cut, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is years ago, so I don't feel that much of a way now, but definitely at the time. Yeah. Um, you came out between your second and third Neon Trees album, is that right? I came out right after our third record. It was kind of simultaneous. Right. 
um, with the third record. What was it like to be on the road and be out? Because that opens up different things with people you meet or guys that come it to was, the show or guys that it you was, see after the show. Like, did it you was feel so liberated? Fun. Yeah. Like, you got to be it the was full so rock fun. star thing. Yeah, I mean, I never, I never like, uh, had trysts with fans. There was a fan that I met after show that months later, you know, we met up again in New York and ended up like dating a bit. And he's a great, he was a great guy. It just wasn't, it didn't end up working out. But, um, but it was fun to like, um, A, you know, my biggest fear prior to coming out was always someone yelling out a slur or, right. you know, because I still, I still was a very flamboyant performer without me being out. I, I, I definitely wore flamboyant clothes. I, I don't know if I was artic- archetypally gay, more so as just like my heroes are David Bowie and Mick Jagger as, fr- as far as frontmen go or, or Freddie Mercury. So it, it wasn't a sexuality. It was just more of like an energy that I always gave. But I was always worried in the back of my head, like they, they might think I'm gay. Like, you know, you know, late, the late 2000, 2000s, early 2010s were still very like um, gross, toxic time for in, in music and it was very ma- very mask and very uh i don't know I, I think me popping out the way i i did on, on the scene like it was very divisive to some people um but i you know coming out was it changed everything it flipped the script i was like yeah i am i am gay and it it took away that that uh anxiety right away yeah, that, that, and then know, i don't have to worry about this thing anymore totally and then and then i had you know our tour the pop psychology tour it was our third record uh that whole summer and fall there was space in the show you know at, by then we were headlining our own you know big big theaters and and shows now and it, and so uh there was always a space every night where i i i spoke my truth and it was so emotional and connective and um it was bliss i, I felt a different energy but to, even to go back to like seeing a cute guy in the crowd i was like yeah. I can actually like point him out and flirt with him a little, or I don't know. Like it was just it. It was fun. It was yeah. definitely a, a fun, a fun time. There was definitely a difference in terms of being on the road, being on stage, doing your absolutely. Thing. Um, what was the thing that you would say in during the show? You would take a moment to sort of, to sort of say something. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I had the microphone um, clearly, and so I, I would just. It was beautiful. I, I I can't remember word for word, but it was just talking about coming out. It was talking about the change in my life. I probably cried every night of that tour, um, but it just brought a levity, or, or well, levity is wrong, but it brought it brought a bit of like emotion to what normally would have just been a big bright pop show. And I I I knew that meant a lot to a lot of people in the crowd. There, you know, there were so many people that had been following our career. I don't know. It, it was every night walking up was like so exciting versus like before it was always kind of like, all right, I got to suck myself out. I love performing, but then, you know, there were so many other things in, in the back of my head blocking from fully enjoying it. Um, right. You were able to be free. It was very freeing. And, and what was great too, is I had my bandmates by my side, two of them very Mormon, but like, you like my bass player giving me a, a pat, like, it was beautiful. Like, you know what I mean? It was very, uh, you know, I think about it even now. It's very hum- 
human. It was, I don't know, it was great. It was really, really cool. That's really moving because as a band, you kind of rise and fall together. So that's important, I think. It's interesting. I mean, I'm so outspoken now. I'm never, I never bring, I always want Neon Tree shows at the end of the day to, you check your, you check your shit at the door and for the next 45 minutes to two hours, depending on what show we're playing, like, uh, I want you to have a good time, you know? At the same time, I'm going to use my microphone for good if there's things that I, I feel like I need to say. I'm always speaking uh, LGBT affirming things throughout a neon tree show and my band myself problems with that I think it's when when you start to meddle into politics um, a bit much but I I also like I'm very outspoken in my interviews uh, you know I'm the guy giving all the interviews for neon trees especially on this record given the times we're living in right now so it's right I recognize that some of the retweets and some of the articles are going to say things that maybe don't jive well with a couple of the bandmates, but I think at the end of the day, you know, maybe this might be self-aggrandizing, but we might represent how you can kind of go along with life and still be with people regardless of when it, political party and Right, um, you can you can faith. disagree, but you don't have to hate each other. You don't have to be disagreeable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I truly love my my drummer, and she's very very LDS, and we do butt heads uh, on certain topics, but we've learned to really accept each other too. And I don't know, I I, I I I will say I feel very supportive and very safe to be in the band, which is great. I love it. So. Talk to me a little about the sound of the record because it has this amazing kind of retro sound, but it feels fresh. Like, do you hear that in your head? Is it? part of the producer you're working with or I don't know who's producing it or where do you come at that sound because it's wonderful thank you uh, it's a lot of just referencing certain groups uh, I think every Neon Trees record borrows from a certain soundscape it's a lot of the late 70s early 80s and whether that's like the pop side of that whether it's more the alternative post post rock side of that right. um but I think with this record, I want—I definitely wanted it to sound like it was it. It was at night. Yes. Um, it so, feels a little like that movie Drive with Ryan Gosling with those neon colors and that purple hue and yeah. that, that kind of there's synthy. A, there's a bit of like a French uh, new wave, uh, you know, quality that a vaporwave quality that I wanted in any synths we were using, any of the drum sounds. Um, yeah, I love my the favorite little... bands are like Depeche Mode and Erasure and New Order, and I, I yeah. always want those influences to creep in. And... It's so interesting to me. I, I was at a Spandau Ballet show a couple years ago. They were like my Amazing. favorite band in the '80s, and before the show, they were playing '80s songs on the sound system, and the British stuff sounded as fresh as the day you got it, like Duran yeah. Duran, Level Forty Two, like some of the bands you were mentioning. They sounded fresh, and then they would play like "We Built This City" or something American, and you were like, "How are these soundscapes so different?" And <laughs> is it just the British versus the American? But there's some yeah. '80s stuff that sounds like candy; you just want to eat it, and it totally. it, aged, it aged so well. And yet, a lot of the mainstream American pop of the day, I can't with the '80s. This, so yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. Your thoughts. I know, the, eight, the 80s is such a is such a broad like there was so much going on in the 80s it's it's always startling to me like I know my frame of reference is going to be a lot more of the college rock 
the Smiths, the Cure, right, and a lot of like the synth pop, but it's not. It's not going to be Styx or Motley Crue. No. But yet I forget that's a big part of the 80s for a lot of people. When they mention I love the 80s, like they're talking about that stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not talking about that at all. <laughs> but it, it, to me, it seems like it's a, it doesn't feel like there's a gradient of like, of quality. It feels like there's this stuff and there's this stuff and this stuff yeah. aged well. And this stuff I can't, I can't stand. I know. But yeah. Anyways. The new romantic stuff for me, it like... You're, you're right. It still feels just as fresh. Well, it's, and it's 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 interesting and fun to watch pop music. Just like the last ten years, they borrow so heavily from from that world. Yeah, from that. Because it's from great. It's really generation. Hard. You have a song called "Holy Ghost" on your album, which I love as a Mormon, because in the Mormon Church, the Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost doesn't get a lot of press. So I yeah. appreciate. You giving the Holy Ghost a shout out, but yeah, talk. You know about what I love? Yeah, what I loved about what I, you know, what I did a lot on my solo record. Um, the Mormon Church is is rife rife with like uh, really interesting imagery and theology that I don't think it's played with a, a lot, and I, I like. I liked the idea of like I'm clearly talking about someone ghosting me, right? Uh, but uh you know the 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 story goes that at least with the mormon theology is the holy spirit um they're not one they're three separate personages and and the holy ghost is your friend it's like your companion if you're doing well if you're obeying the commandments if you're following the rules but if you're not then you won't the spirit leaves you right like there's that thought of like the abandonment yeah and i wanted to bring that thought into it and um and then yeah it's it's still fun to me to play with some of that uh, imagery, yeah, and the lingo. You know, it's very it's very Madonna with the Catholic Church, but I think, yeah. like, like I, I like giving a little bit of a wink. Yeah, that's know? the that's the word that it occurred to me. As have you seen the Mormon porn? I forget what it's called. Mormon boys and Mormon, Mormon girls. Boys. It's a huge. It feels like a huge little niche there. There's a lot it's going a on there. I have seen yeah, it a lot. I, it's not my go-to, but I have seen right. it. And I'm and I'm like, wow, this is not a one of, this is a full on series, of, do you know what I'm saying? It's not like one movie. Absolutely. It's no, it's thing. a company. Um, it's actually uh, at least Mormon Girls uh, was founded by an ex Mormon lesbian woman, um, in Salt Lake. Um, there's a really great uh, Vice documentary on that whole thing, and and the Mormon War on Porn. You know, there's a big. That's a big part of, uh, you know, culture here, at least in Utah, where, where you know, porn kills love, um, which right. is interesting. It's own it's its own thing. But uh, I I don't particularly get off on garments, you know. So right. I don't I don't necessarily need to like sexualize my Mormon experience. But I've definitely come across some. It it really goes into it. Like you're in like you're in the go, te- they really temple. Get the details. <laughs> They're like. Oh, sh- they're not phoning this in. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of people that are into it because they make a lot of them. But yeah, I mean, I mean, more. I think Mormons have always been sexualized. I remember growing up in in high school, like rock bands. I remember seeing like this rock band play with a bumper sticker that said "I love Mormon pussy," uh, which is so <laughs> so like obscene, obviously. But like, uh, 
I think sexualizing anything that's a bit virginity or lily white or right. a bit like Forbidden. straight arrow. We're not supposed to do this. We, I'm not. You know, and Mormon missionaries. I remember like that gay, the gay Mormon missionary movie Latter Days, like yeah, fifteen twenty years ago, and that was like, yeah. So I think there definitely is a history of just like sexualizing like yeah. virginity and and clean. How? What skills did going on a mission give you that you use later, like talking to strangers? Well, you know, as I as I said, I was very much a headphone wearing goth goth kid very like didn't like if someone asked what your biggest fear is I, I remember being a teenager and saying my biggest fear is people like just I was not a fan wow. I was very um you know I leaned hard into the Morrissey the church of Morrissey you know right. as far as like just kind Brooding. of like being empathetic yeah yeah and uh not not really trusting people and um you know I still have my own my own journey or thoughts with some of that but like what the what the mission did was like it, it it strips you of your own identity as far as like you don't look like anyone else or you look like everyone else you don't right. look individual um so there wasn't a lot of like uh exterior touchstones that people could look at and go like oh he's into that like so right. i think that was one thing it leveled the playing field and then you're forced to go and talk and teach this uh this doctrine to strangers and as you start to see people's that's the tricky part is like I did see certain people's lives change for the better sure by our influence um and yeah it just I think going to Nebraska there's a certain midwestern quality to a lot of those people obviously um I was living in really small towns not just the cities and I don't know and then and then getting to know people in the ward like I just it really opened my heart to 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 humans <laughs> and good. just being social so i think that was a definitely a good good quality it gave me a backbone a bit yeah my mission did i love for it. sure um we're gonna wrap it up soon but i want to ask you some uh, uh, one or two silly questions that i usually do at, at, with my little cards which we don't have because we're okay. not a person who were your celebrity crushes when you were growing up um who was i into um sean connery interesting really <laughs> tommy lee jones wow like older older yeah. actors like sean connery um, circa like medicine man oh, like early 90s nice. entrap entrapment with Catherine zeta cool. i'm trying to think you uh who else there was it was definitely like older older men uh as far as like celebrities I mean, when I was coming out, I was, what, 2013, 14, I was heavily attracted to Josh Brolin. Thinking in my mind, like, if jo if Josh Brolin knows that I have a crush on him, like, he'll read this about this in Rolling Stone, and then we'll, we'll meet. But Josh Brolin's say, clearly listen. a very straight man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm also attracted to, like, uh, like, kind of bumbling, bearish guys, like, Seth Rogen. It's weird. I have a very interesting Joey Fatone in InSync. I remember like loving. You like you he was not Joey the guy was your that. Favorite InSync. Yeah, he like he was not the hunk in the band, but no. to me he he was the hunk. He was the hunk. <laughs> he was the Italian guy with the Roman nose. Yeah. Yeah. I don't no, know. That's good. I th Seth Rogen did a GQ pictorial like a year or two ago, and I'm like, these pictures are fucking hot. I yeah. Into it. yeah yeah i don't i don't know what to call it other than i've just always i've never been attracted to like the 
the atypical like hot guy it's yeah. always been i've always found something hot that's a bit you know dif- different i guess i don't know sure but, all right that's fun um so people can buy your album everywhere yeah we have uh vinyl and physical copies on online or on amazon i don't buy from amazon because they're you know they're the man right but, exactly. <laughs> but or but uh yeah and then you can stream it anywhere yeah. you listen to music I also miss the idea that you could sign a CD or an album to somebody because you can't sign a download. What's the weirdest thing you've ever autographed? Uh, clothes, clothing or shoes or someone's phone. I always ask, are you sure? Like, <laughs> you know, do you want me to deface this expensive thing? But uh, body parts, especially when they get them tattooed, is, is not hilarious. That's the wrong right. one because I don't want to, like, make... I'm not making fun. It's just like, wow. Like, That's... Wow, that's a commitment. Profound. Yeah, my signature or writing like a lyric with my handwriting yeah. and they'll go get it signed. It's Do wow. Mormons have a, a, a rule about tattoos? I've never... Yeah. What, probably no. Yeah, they called you the... I remember being called like the Mark generation if you got a tattoo. Like you're going to be a part of the Mark generation or something. Like I don't know, even know doctrinally what that meant, but it just had this like, you know, at least late 90s or 2000s like i think now tattoos are so normalized that it's like no one even bats an eye yeah but that was a big thing coming out to my parents before i even come out as gay was telling them i got my first tattoo <laughs> like Where i was, was so it? nervous it was these teeth i had broken my teeth on stage uh in 2011 and oh, so i shit. i got this uh yeah i fell off the stage and hit the barrier and Shatter my front teeth, poor front teeth. Oh my god! Did you go on with the show, or was that the end of the show? No, it's on YouTube too. Uh, it was in Lu- uh, Lux, uh, Holland, Luxembourg, wow. Holland. Uh, yeah, it was so crazy. But um, I I passed up for like thirty seconds, and then uh, I remember my my tour manager getting me back up, and then I think my bandmates thought the show set was over, and then I was like, play! Like I just. I couldn't. Do you ever have you ever gotten a mouth injury where it just feels like way worse than it is? Like I thought all my teeth had shattered out, but right. it ended up just being like fragments. But it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But, but you uh, that the was show. my first tattoo. I did finish the show. Yeah. And, then, and you got the tattoo. And then what did your parents do when you told them? It was like you did. Yeah. You know, but it was so. It was such a naive time. Like now, I think about. I would never even like bat an eye if I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to get a tattoo. But it seems sort of quaint. Yeah. Um, this it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I really yeah. love the record. I Thank really you. admire you. I loved meeting you, and just thought you were such a nice person when I met you in in Salt Lake. And Thank so you. I'm glad this happened. Um, Me too. You're on social media as Tyler in a coma. Tyler in a coma. Where does that come from? The Smiths. Oh, uh, right girlfriend on. in a coma. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I got you know you make uh, you make a uh, an avatar and a, a name online when you're in your early twenties, right? And, and it just you realize, fits. oh, <laughs> I guess I'm still gonna do that. Have you ever met Morrissey or any of the the people that you love? I've met Johnny Marr, who's the guitar player in um, uh, The Smiths, at like an Urban Outfitters years ago. Which that's was the best incredible. place to meet them. That feels like where you would meet them. Yeah, I was like, what the. F- it was in LA. It was at the Space 1520, that, that Urban Outfitters down in Hollywood. Yeah. So it made sense he was there, but I was like, why is Johnny Marin like looking for shirts in a Urban Outfitters? Um, I have kind of a rule of thumb though that like meeting my icons might ruin my life, yeah. especially as you get to know them. 
So I, unless it's a, it's a situation where it's backstage at a show or it's, it feels like organic, you know, I, I'm not one to like, I think I would be devastated. Like if I met Bruce Springsteen, um, on the street or something and said hi and he wasn't having a good day and yeah. that would that might obliterate my that might do you, know, you in that just might like change how i look or listen to that music yeah you know I, I remember meeting quentin tarantino on a plane and he was not great but like i also get it and that kind of change every time i see a new movie i, I have that in the back of my head of for better or for worse so i i just kind of like you know i i also have my own feelings about what Morrissey's turned into as an older man and his theology. So anyway, it's, uh, it's I try to, it's complicated stuff. I try not to meet my ears. Yeah. There you go. Um, this is the final question. Yeah. What does it feel like to be a rock star? Cause I think a lot of people fantasize about what that might be like, or, you know, on karaoke night, you kind of, you know, do your thing or whatever. And sometimes somebody will say, you know, if somebody in the real estate office is a really good sale, oh, he's a total rock star. Like that, there's a yeah. The idea of being that, and you are that. Yeah, I think I think the the there's a dual duality that people don't see where you know we're still we're still people. Like right. at the end of the day, I think I it's it highly enjoyable to be a rock star when we're on stage, get to sing our music, get to flex, and and you know do the thing that that we do but at the end of the day it's like the biggest structures in the world i don't know like it's it's there's perks but at the same time i'm i still have to deal with my own shit my i still have to work through my own insecurities like all of it um so it, it's a good lesson like i've i'm 10 years professionally into this thing 15 as as a band and i and I, it's a good lesson to go, like, you know, your dreams come true and you reach all these obstacles. And at the end of the day, like, it does, that's not going to satisfy you. You still have to, like, you still have to get to know yourself and, and work through your stuff. So, right. It's an but it, job. It's, it's awesome. I, you put it I actually your... like at least at karaoke bars because everyone expects me to show off. And I'm like, you know, I sing for a living. I don't want to. Right. I'm gonna, I don't wanna... You guys do your thing. But do you, like, yeah. on your driver's license application, when they ask application, do you put rock star, or do you just put musician? <laughs> I put musician. Yeah. yeah. I Sometimes I put entertainer. That's good. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot. There was one question I was going to ask, and I forgot to ask it. Where were you the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? It was with my mother, uh, Christmas of 2009. Our f- first single, Animal, had just come out, and it was starting to get played on the radio, and we were <clears throat> driving around looking at Christmas lights in my hometown and uh, came on. And my mom's the best person to be around. And I think exciting happens because she like triples up on the excitement energy. So that's amazing. It was, was it just the two of you in the car or were there other people? Uh, a couple of family m- members. It was like that. It's totally that thing you do moment where you like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how kids feel about the radio now. I know it's, it, it's less uh, like the center of the universe, but like growing up, like, you know, that was where you heard music, so... Yeah. I, and just the thought else, of getting your song played... Yes, yeah, somebody picked it. Somebody chose crazy. this. It's a that's feeling. Right. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. All right. Yeah. Great talking to you. I hope our paths cross again. I hope um, so, too. Thanks for reaching out. It was my pleasure, and uh, good luck with the record. I think everyone should should listen to it. I think it should be the album of everybody's end of summer. Thank you, Dennis. Okay. Thank I you. I love it. I appreciate right. it. Bye. Hey, talk to you soon. Okay.
Thanks again to Tyler Glenn for jumping on the Zoom and giving us such a great interview. Definitely go download or stream or whatever you do to get your music, that new album. To me, it's the album of the summer. It's my summer. It's happy. It's thoughtful. It's a little haunting, like any good ghosting should be, um, which is one of the themes on the record. And it just sounds so fresh. And uh, I don't even know if we have a song of the summer. Can you have a song of the summer when no one leaves the house? Well, I guess for me, this is the album of the summer. So definitely check it out. Wherever you, wherever you get your music. Um, all right, so this happened. Uh, the Outfest Gay Film Festival is one of my favorite things to do in L.A. and has been for, gosh, 20 or 30 years, it seems. Um, this year, they did it all virtually. There were some drive-in events, but I didn't end up going to those. But I bought a pass, and I've been streaming gay films every night, pretty much, and kind of feeling like I'm part of an event in a way. It's been kind of cool. So... I just saw that they extended it for a week so you can buy like a limited pass for like 25 bucks and watch a bunch of the films from the festival. So I'll tell you some of the ones that I saw that I recommend. There was a documentary called Burn This Letter, Please, P.S. Burn This Letter, Please, which is somebody found in a storage unit in Los Angeles a few years ago, this treasure trove of letters from the 1950s that were written to somebody from a bunch of friends in the drag scene in New York in the 50s. So if you want to know what that scene was like, this is a great documentary. And they tracked down some of the people that uh, wrote the letters. And it's just a really interesting slice of life uh, of, a, of a specific time and place. Um, there's a movie called Drama Rama, which is about five drama club geek friends about to graduate in their last sleepover party. I think it's two guys and three girls, and I related to it so much because I was a drama kid, geek, in high school, and it's all those feelings, and one, one of them's going away to acting school in New York and is kind of a diva, and one of them wants to try to come out, but he's awkward about it, and it's just, I related to it so much. It all takes place in one night, um, so watch for that drama-rama. It's very good. Shiva Baby is hilarious. It's... <laughs> This one bisexual girl ends up at this shiva torn between a girl she used to date and the man, married man she's having an affair with now. And it's just one of those everything that can go wrong does go wrong kind of little socially awkward movies. But the acting is great. It's funny. It's quick. It's short, which is, is always nice. And that's really cool. Um, there's a movie called The Obituary of Tunde Jones which is so timely. It feels like it was made this summer, but it actually came out, I think, in Toronto in 2019. So it has to do with uh, the way the police treat uh, African-Americans. And it's uh, this rich kid who's the son of, I think, two African immigrants, um, is at this prep school in Los Angeles. And... Uh, it's got a bit of a Groundhog Day element to it. It has got so much style. It's heavy, but it's also intriguing and and visually pleasing. And it's not, you know, I, it's not as um, it's a pleasure to watch, even though the material is upsetting and challenging. But it's really wonderful, and it feels like it was just sprung forth from 
this summer, but unfortunately these same issues have been with us for a long time. So um, definitely watch for that. There's one that I'm going to watch tonight called Two Eyes, which my friend raves about. I haven't seen it. Um, I think tonight's the last night that I'm able to watch it with my current membership. But anyway, online festival, really worth it. Into it. So if you're looking for some fresh stuff to stream, to stream check out outfest.org, and I think you can catch up on a lot of this stuff for the next week. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.